Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. NFL trade deadline's an hour away, Michael Holly, but uh, we now know yes. with some degree of certainty, a uh, pretty high degree of certainty, uh, what I've been saying for quite a while now, um, that the deal we've been speculating about, we've been discussing, we've been dissecting, is not going down. Uh, Deshaun Watson will remain a member of the Houston Texans. He will not be a member of the Miami Dolphins, per his wish. Um, this just within the hour uh, from Adam Schefter. Although the Dolphins did due diligence on Deshaun Watson and had conversations with Houston, Miami will not make a trade for the QB per source. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who had contingencies that needed to be met for any deal, as in the civil complaints needed to be settled, which I've been telling how long I've been saying that, uh, made the yeah, final decision yeah. to not move forward. Uh, Schefter goes on to say, while Miami considered bringing in Deshaun Watson, no deal ever was in place, and the Dolphins will stick with Tua Tagovailoa, a young QB who has shown improvement uh, this year. So, Michael, my question to you is this. Yeah. For whom is a deal not happening Easy. a bigger deal? Easy. Let me repeat that just yeah. so it's clear for the viewers. I know you get I, it. For I got whom yeah. is the deal not happening a bigger deal? Houston. Houston. Like, Miami is That's the uh, right answer. Miami's in uh, Miami's in bad shape anyway. Miami is is one and seven. What a disappointing season it is for the Dolphins. Seven straight losses after an opening win on the road against the Patriots. Yeah, Five I know point. Tua got hurt. Uh, for a while, yeah. If I point, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take off point. I'm not gonna take off a point because you won by a point. It, it they all count. But this is a team that you know started off five and I think five and eleven under Brian Flores, and then went to ten and six, and then year three was supposed to be something good. It was supposed to be a progression. Supposed to be a march toward the playoffs. They're going back to a place where they thought they had moved on from. You thought you were better. You thought you were better than us. Oh, you back where we are. Okay, says every losing team in the league. Um, but it's a big deal for Houston because you don't know what's going to happen. They, I, I thought they got a reprieve, Mike. They had an opportunity to uh, trade Deshaun Watson when he asked for it. They resisted. I thought, oh man, they they blew it. Then they had another opportunity. Came, they came back again, Miami. We got some contingencies. We'll pay your price. We got some contingencies, so hey, meet us in the middle. Houston said no. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like the price doesn't go up. I think the price is going down. So, Houston, that's Texas. so that's so encouraging for me because sometimes, Michael, I don't think you'd be listening. Sometimes I don't think you listen to me, but it, maybe, but you are hearing me. Maybe it's kind of seeping in that IFB. And it's sinking in through like some osmosis. And you are hearing, even if you pretend like you're not in the moment. Cause I, I feel like I, Scotty Pippen right now. 
I feel like Scotty Pippen. I feel like you talked about it. <laughs> that was condescending. That was well done. Well done. And we definitely get to Scotty later in the show. Well done. Yeah, we well, well, well we played. Good, that's a, that was a great tease. Yeah. That was a great. That was a great tease by you right there. Um, but no, I, Michael, I, I literally have been saying all along, and I had Texans fans killing me for saying that. That the terrain is so uncertain moving forward. Like, Ooh. let him be somebody. My exact words then are the same words now. Let him be somebody else's problem. He's only an asset for you insofar as he is providing value for you. And he's not playing. Yep. That's why he's on this agreed paid leave right now. You're getting nothing for him. And not only do you not know what's going to happen with the 22 civil sexual assault complaints, not only do you not know what's going to happen with the grand jury and the Houston PD investigation, yeah. not only are you not yeah. certain yeah. or his potential next team isn't certain how the league is going to come down once all is said and done, mm. but you don't know what the quarterback market is going to look like. Hell, at this rate, going back to the Dolphins, and this is what I didn't know when I was saying it was more important that Houston should have more urgency. This is what I didn't know when I said it before was that the Dolphins will be falling apart. You don't even know whether Brian Flores and Chris Greer are going to still be in charge depending on the way the rest of the That's season right. goes. That's right. So there may not be a marriage between Deshaun Watson and Miami at the end of the season. Yes. Aaron right. Rodgers. I know you got the Packers winning the Super Bowl and him riding off into the sunset as much as I like to think that they've had makeup and breakup sex and that they're back together for the long haul. Aaron Rodgers may still decide he wants to change the scenery. There are always new quarterbacks to be had via the draft. You just don't know how this game of quarterback musical chairs is going to play out. Russell Wilson, like who knows what's going to happen in the offseason to where you would think that there would be a robust market for Deshaun Watson, but I always believe that a bird in hand is better than two in the bush. And this is why I'm convinced I'm, I'm, yeah. and have always been convinced Got him right there. that the yep. Texans were never intent on trading Deshaun Watson. Now, just because I said that in the next 51 minutes, he'll get dealt. Okay, just just I don't watch, think so. watch <laughs> I'm just saying just I because don't think I said so. that. But, but, but they were never intent on giving Deshaun Watson what he wanted. They gave him the no trade clause and yet they were never serious about moving him. I believe all the smoke about the Panthers and the Eagles and all these other teams getting involved and everything being close. That was nothing but smoke emanating from Houston trying to smoke out potential offers or pressure the Dolphins into upping their offer, knowing that Houston only had one place that they could trade Deshaun Watson. So long as Deshaun Watson only had one place that he was willing to waive his no trade clause for. And that was always pre-allegations, during the allegations, and now that was always the Miami Dolphins. And I've never wavered from saying that. You know, Mike, and so now here, Mike, here you know they what they done. With a with a guy just on the roster and you go into the offseason, who knows what his value is going to be then as opposed to taking what you could have got for him now. You know what? And, and if you're Houston, just think about what you could have done. You could have pulled off. You could have said, all right, um, we will will lower the price slightly. We'll lower the price slightly. But one thing we insist on 
at the deadline and you may and what's today today is uh, today is Tuesday. So this November is a player's second, yeah. day off. Yeah, players day off except for the quarterback and, and I'm, I'm going somewhere but this is why I'm making this distinction players day off quarterback usually checks in with the offensive coordinator on Tuesday somebody say Tuesday and get the game plan do all these things and on Wednesday you start your planning for the week. So if they traded Deshaun Watson today, he wouldn't be ready to play on Sunday against Houston. He wouldn't be ready to play. He wouldn't be ready to play. Right. Yeah. So you're you're and the reason I'm saying all these things is because Miami is so bad. If you take you insist on their first rounder this year at best Deshaun Watson could get them to nine and eight. At best, well, they don't, I'm, I'm they don't have theirs. Just, just, just quick housekeeping. They, I don't believe they have theirs. I think they have San Francisco. Oh, they because they have San. That's right. Remember, they, San they, Francisco. They moved theirs to Philly, if I'm not mistaken. They moved back. Up you, but keep, but keep okay. talking. I'll look it up while you're talking. Oh, uh, okay. If that's the case, then that that goes away. Well, my point is, I thought, and and I, I stand corrected, because what I was looking at was a situation where the Texans could set themselves up not only for the next uh, three to four years with multiple first round picks. But this year, because they're going to have a top 10 pick, no question, they're terrible. And Miami, if they had Miami's uh, first round pick, if Miami had its own, that's another top 10. So you, re- you really are just in a great position as a franchise. You can hand your general manager, your new general manager, Nick Casario, all of the resources and say, all right, we agree. We haven't built it the right way in the last four or five years. Our franchise has not been the most functional franchise. You go ahead and you bring us back to relevancy. And with all those resources, Mike, we talked about it yesterday, how you can use draft picks in multitude ways, myriad ways. With all those resources, you could be a contender within two years. Two years. So it's just a mis- I think it's just a, a, an egregious blown opportunity on the part of Houston. Were you about to say a miscalculation? Um... Or, or, or missed opportunity, but I thought you were about to say miscalculation because the well, media, call it that too. Call it that too. Well, because I, I, I was gonna say the media miscalculated uh, because the farther this went along, the less sense it made to do it now. Like, and I kept saying is that there's, like there's too many moving parts for them to all come together. You know, and people love to say deadlines for action. I get it, but everybody's not operating on the same deadline here. If the Texans aren't operating from a place of, and doesn't seem like they are. We have to or really truly want to just rid ourselves of this Deshaun Watson situation and turn the page and move forward. The Texans aren't operating with that sense of urgency. The Dolphins are looking at it like, hey, you know what? Um, They're trying to rake us over the coals here. Um, You know, they're being unreasonable. We got a young quarterback who we got to continue to try to develop. Um, We got to love the one we're with to a certain extent. And the guys only had 13 or 14 starts. Um, So we got to continue to move forward. But above all, has Tony Busby shown any indication of accommodating Deshaun Watson for purposes of his convenience? You know, like, who's to say that that Deshaun Watson's accusers that it's just that simple that they're ready to settle now? I know confidentiality has been at the heart of it. Deshaun Watson not wanting confidentiality. Tony Busby accuses that he represents wanting confidentiality. But those accusers are under no uh, obligation whatsoever to accommodate a football transaction. 
So without yeah, that piece of NFL business, that, 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 line? Right, right. that primary piece of business being taken care of, there's very little clarity, regardless of what Roger Goodell says at a press conference conveniently, which is, oh, well, you know, we don't have enough information. Yeah, you don't have to have enough information because he's not about to play. So all this did was delay the NFL's decision making. So good for them, right? Um, regardless of what Roger Goodell says, you have no clarity on if the league would step in if Deshaun Watson showed up and was ready to play football. So there's no but, settlement, by the way, no clarity from the league, and but and neither side is going to blink. Like it was about which team was going to blink before the deadline. This turned out to be one long staring contest. And what what uh, just just for the record, um, what did you find out in your housekeeping? Did you look it up real quick? And see oh what, yeah, no, I, I was Miami's. right. So the so the All Dolphins right. sent what what so what happened was the Dolphins remember they had, they had number three, they traded it. Uh, to the 49ers. Um, right. And that's how the, the Niners got Trey Lance. So the adult, so the 49ers first round pick in 2022 belongs to the Dolphins. The Dolphins first round pick belongs to the Eagles in 2022. The Dolphins have their two. Um, and then in 2023, the Dolphins have their first as well as the 49ers first in 2023. Yeah. So they okay. still have two. They still they still have a first round pick in this year's draft. A first round pick. It's just San Francisco. But it's but it's, it's but San it's San Francisco's, Francisco's instead of their own. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That's not and that and that's you know that could turn out to be okay, but it's not a it's not as as miserable as theirs. And you know, quiet as it's kept, I'm sure Philadelphia fans have been keeping up with this. I'm like, hey, it's pretty good. You know. Oh, they looking. Uh, they sitting we pretty. Our, yeah. We want our team to do well, and hey, we keep hating on the Dolphins. Oh, hey, Playboy! Hey, give us the number Playboy. one pick. <laughs> Playboy, because you know my son trying to trying to get me back on that narcotic, uh, known as franchise mode. I do I, do, I don't want to derail this. The 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 Eagles right now are sitting Your on son. the Colts, the Colts, the Dolphins, and their own first round picks. So if you go franchise somebody and turn them around right now, it'd be the Eagles sitting on the Colts, Dolphins, and their own first round pick. So anyway. You, you were saying about Deshaun. How are you gonna throw your son under the bus? That's just funny. That's funny to me. What, what were you saying about? What are you gonna say about Deshaun? Uh, about about Watson and uh, and the Texans and the Dolphins? Though? No, I'm talking about you. No, I'm talking about you. That's that's it. I, you know, look, uh, I I'll be I'll be watching the story. And the other thing, you know, here's the other thing we talked about. I don't know if this this factors in. Just one more thing on Deshaun, and and maybe this is a, is a stretch. He played for a what four win team last year, 2020, four and twelve. Correct. Correct. Not going to play this year. Looks like he's not going to play at all this year. You have an offseason. And so going to 2022, does the price go? Is, is the price the same for a guy that we missed in his prime? Because, you know, how long does the prime last? Uh, I don't know. That, 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 I don't even believe that on my own argument. But I'm just wondering fine. if other teams. Workshop if you, it. If I, want, <laughs> That's fine. If I wanted to hate on it a little bit. No problem. <laughs> but if I wanted to hate on it a little bit. If I wanted to hate on it a little bit, I'd say, all right. That price was high based off this 70% completion percentage season in 2020. Top five quarterback. He was great. Yeah. Sat out last year. Where's Deshaun Watson? How is he viewed? Has his price remained the same? Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Since I don't, I don't, we last I don't think saw from a football standpoint, his price is, is affected. I mean, he is not affected. Okay. He's, he, he's, he's rare. I, you know, I said, I said this before the season. Uh, and I remember we spent some time on it, and 
you know, in his absence, as Patrick Mahomes continues to throw interceptions, it looks a little bit like a better take. I told you the only difference in my mind between Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes was their situations. Um, so football-wise, Deshaun Watson is still a top-five quarterback. Uh, as long as he has 22 massage therapists accusing him of sexual, sexual assault, excuse me, uh, as well as a grand jury investigating, Houston PD investigating, the league investigating him, like everything... Honestly, Michael, everything should be on pause. You know, I always say sometimes, like, the, the best trades are the ones you don't make. You know that old saying? Um, this is actually yeah. probably best for all parties involved. And I've been thinking about this for a while, knowing that this day and this very hour was coming when, the, you know, the Deshaun Watson speculation would be sound and fury signifying nothing, that there would be a whole lot of smoke and no fire, that he wasn't going to go anywhere. And I'm just like, you know, I think for all parties involved, um... It's probably best to pump the brakes on any football transactions right now. Um, mm. The Dolphins, as much as he would represent an upgrade to Tua Tagovailoa, the Dolphins and Stephen Ross don't need this right now. Um, the league, with all that it has going on, all this other PR crisis that is struggling to manage, probably doesn't need Deshaun Watson on the field right now. Um, yeah, and that's just objectively speaking. That's not assigning guilt, innocence. That's not you know litigating. I don't. That's just from an optic standpoint. And last but not least, man. And I'm sure Deshaun Watson would love to be playing football right now, and he's wanted Miami for a long time, um, and has been waiting for an opportunity to move on with his career for a long time. I think it's actually a blessing in disguise for Deshaun Watson from a football standpoint. Straight so, so. from a football standpoint. Oh. Um. Because I'm not conflating what he's accused of and the quarterback. Oh, I got you. Yeah. But the quarterback, yeah. even yeah. before these accusations, um, wanted out, as we know. Wanted out at the end of last season. But always had his sights set on South Florida. Um, I think this gives him an opportunity to kind of step back and evaluate that. You know? Uh, evaluate. I know the Dolphins have been in some very competitive games. Uh, and the only reason I pointed out that one point win in the opener, by the way, earlier was because that's mm -hmm. how close they are to being winless. That, that's what I meant by that. But you're right. They got one win is one win, right? Um, it gives him more of an opportunity to perhaps broaden his horizons, perhaps reconsider his approach. Talking about strictly from a football standpoint. Because he was never going to waive his no trade clause for Carolina or Philadelphia or Denver or anybody else. But now that he, the trade deadline is coming gone and the Texans have more or less. Now I'm looking at it from Nick Casario's perspective. The Texans have more or less called his bluff that, hey, we'll sit on you until we get the offer we want. Perhaps right. Deshaun Watson steps back the remainder of the season and into the offseason and looks at the rest of the league and says, I'm effectively a free agent. As in. The Texans can only trade me where I'm willing to be traded or else they got to cut me. They don't want to cut me and get nothing for me. So the Texans have to trade me where I want to be traded. Maybe he steps back and looks at the entire league with a fresh set of eyes and says, and again, maybe there's clarity when it comes to uh, his civil and, 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 and criminal situations. Maybe he steps back and says, you know what? I thought I really wanted Miami, but that's a, that's a little bit of a mess. And that roster isn't as ready made as I thought. 
Now he may not see it this way. This is just what I'm saying. This is this is just, this is me, you know, because I don't think it's I don't think their flaws and their faults have only been to a tongue about lower this year. I don't as 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 limited as he may be. I don't think he's the sole reason for their struggles this year. So maybe and, and again, I, I Deshaun do. Watson changes everything. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it's that simple. I think so. Maybe hey. it's trade Deshaun Watson or, or exchange Deshaun Watson for two and talking about lower, and they're a different football team. Maybe it's maybe it's that simple. But just for argument's sake, I'm simply saying that maybe this is the best thing for all parties involved to slow down this process, get clarity when it comes to the thing that's holding back this process. And then move, try to move forward in the offseason instead of a deadline spurring action where it shouldn't. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, as, as you know, great quarterbacks, you know, cover up a lot, cover up a lot of mm-hmm. issues. And then, but, but not everything, because look, as I just said, Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, but he was on a four win team last year. Uh, they had problems beyond him. He was not one of their problems, but they had multiple Correct. problems. I think Correct. Miami, I think Miami has fewer problems. Even now, at one and seven, Miami has fewer problems than Houston. Uh, you know, top to bottom. And I think if you put Deshaun Watson in that situation, you're doing all right. Now you get now at the very least, you're going to the playoffs. You are a playoff team, ready to go. If you got Deshaun, but not gonna if, happen. If the league let him play, I, I'm still not convinced that Roger Goodell was being completely truthful. You know, uh, but anyway. We got uh, 36 more minutes until the deadline. And uh, I've been checking since we've been talking about it. I keep checking. Listen, listen, (laughs) let me tell you something real quick as we go to break And I mean it when I say real quick, I will never forget on a show I used to do at about at about noon saying ain't no way in hell. LeBron James is going back to Dan Gilbert ain't happening. Never. Like, there's no way he go back to Cleveland after Comic Sans. No way. Then I get in my ear. Uh, he just announced to Sports Illustrated that he's going home. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> so we just talk for 20 minutes. I don't about agree nothing. with it. Hey, I don't agree <laughs> with what he did, 20, but yeah. for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes about uh, just wasted time. So we could have talked for the last 25 uh, minutes about a train that's going down in the next 35 minutes. That's just the way this this, this world works. Um, we got to talk about another guy who's not getting traded later on. That's Odell Becker. Never say never, but never. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Very gratifying to see that, you know, we, we keep the fight. You know, we was down big on the road, a tough place to play in. Um, we didn't get rattled. We, we buckled down. The second group came in. Um, brought the energy and, and we carried it over from there. Um, so for me, just seeing the fight and um, which I knew from, you know, coming here that every everybody on the team had, had that chip on their shoulder and wasn't going to lay down for no reason um, and shoulder tonight. Six and one Chicago Bulls 
Uh, at one point, you might have thought it unbelievable that they were for real, but all they keep doing is winning. This time overcoming a 19-point deficit to beat the Celtics in the Garden, which we'll, we'll talk about this from a Celtics perspective as well. But, um, yeah, I wonder where all the people are who in the offseason thought that DeMar DeRozan signing was a bad one. Um, he looks absolutely fantastic and worth every penny. He but, really Michael, did. listen, um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's make a call here. Let's, let's figure this out on the spot because guess it's fitting uh, that we today we could talk about Bulls past and present. Um, the Bulls are as good as they've been this early in the season uh, in 25 years. Uh, back in the Jordan Pippen days. And Jordan. today, even though the Last Dance, the music stopped on the Last Dance documentary uh, well over a year ago, Scottie Pippen continues to sing the same sad song. So, would you prefer to stay in the moment and discuss Bulls Celtics from a contemporary <laughs> perspective or do you want to turn back the clock and talk about Jordan and Pippen and Scotty's excerpt from his forthcoming memoir, Unguarded? I leave the choice to you. I, don't know. I want to. T- I want to turn back because I'm a good team. Let me tell you what I was doing. Okay. Let me tell you what I was doing last night. Last I night I was doing, talking about this. I, hope, oh, I bet you were doing the same thing I was doing before the show. Were you rewatching the Last Dance? No. Oh, what I was I, doing I'm, last I'm rewatching night. the Last Dance now. What were you doing last night? No, what I was doing last night was watching this sad Bulls Celtics 2021 game. <laughs> sad okay. from a Celtics perspective, Celtics and I had to talk about yes. it. Yeah, and I had to talk about a dude. A dude. I, I, it just it just blesses me. I thank you for comedy. Thank you, Lord, uh, for those who can make us laugh. A dude who has zero assists said, "Those dudes need to pass the ball." <laughs> okay, a wait. point guard. Okay. A point guard with no assist. Wait, no, you can't. Okay, but you can't. Yeah, just, you can't just throw, but you can't just pass. You can't just pass off that commentary and keep it moving. So, but you rather talk about the last dance? Let's talk about the last dance. Let's talk. Let's talk about the excerpt. We'll last come day. back to. We'll come. Okay, cool. Because I have taken, I've given myself an assignment of rewatching the last dance through the okay. perspective of Scottie Pippen, um, who dropped an excerpt, like I mentioned in his book. So I'm gonna read to you. All right, this re- re- story time. The text oh, was from it. Michael. He didn't reach out very okay. often. What's up, dude? I'm getting worried that you're upset with me. Love to talk about it if you have time. My schedule was packed that evening, and I knew the conversation would take a while. I hit him back an hour and a half later. Let's talk tomorrow. Michael was right. I was upset with him. It was because of the last dance, the 10-part ESPN documentary about the Chicago Bulls final championship season 1997-98, which millions of people watched during the early weeks of the pandemic. Blah, 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 blah. The final two episodes aired on May 17th. Similar to the previous eight, they glorified Michael Jordan while not giving nearly enough praise to me and my proud teammates. Michael deserved a large portion of the blame. The producers had granted him editorial control of the final product. The doc couldn't have been released otherwise. He was the leading man and the director. I had expected much more. When I was first told about it over a year later, I couldn't wait to tune in, knowing it would feature rare footage. My years in Chicago, beginning as a rookie in the fall of 1987, were the most rewarding of my career. 12 men <laughs> Except Michael was determined to prove to the current generation of fans that he was larger than life during his day and still larger than LeBron James, the player many consider his equal, if not superior. 
So Michael presented his story, not the story of the last dance, as our coach Phil Jackson built the 97-98 season because of blah, 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 blah. As Cross told Phil to fall 97, uh, we know all this. We all know. It's been, um, let me, I'm trying to get to the good stuff. On and on it went. The spotlight oh, shining on number 23. It is, but I mean, you know, stuff that we already know. Even in the second episode, which focused for a while on my difficult upbringing and unlikely path to the NBA, the narrative returned to MJ and his determination to win. I was nothing more than a prop. That's the headline. His quote-unquote best teammate of all time, he called me. He couldn't have been more condescending if he tried. On second thought, I could believe my eyes. I spent a lot of time around the man. I knew what made him tick. How naive I was to expect anything else. Uh, I'm not suggesting Michael wouldn't have been a superstar wherever he ended up. He was that spectacular. Just that he relied on the success we attained as a team six titles in eight years to propel him to a level of fame throughout the world. No other athlete except for Muhammad Ali has reached in modern times. To make things worse, Michael received $10 million for his role in the dock while my teammates and I didn't earn a dime. Another reminder of the pecking order from the old days. For an entire season, we allowed cameras into the sanctity of our locker rooms, our practices, our hotels, our huddles, our lives. All right, Mike. Like I said, I'm rewatching The Last Dance because I'm trying, trying to watch it from the perspective of Scottie Pippen. Because maybe I got a blind spot. And yes, I intentionally wore this shirt. I recognize the irony of the shirt. I'm trying, Michael. I'm trying real hard to not to ignore my closet full of retro Jordans. Okay? I'm trying okay. to look at this objectively, or even from Scotty's perspective, to see where he's coming from. Not that he needs me to see where he's coming from. It's his truth. It's his story. It's his book that he's now trying to sell. I get it. But all I can say is this, man. When it comes down to it, Scotty Pippen in 2021 is no different than you and I were in 1991. Scottie Pippen just wants to be like Mike. That's the end. That's the beginning and the end of it. Scottie just wants to be like Mike. I don't know. Scottie no, Pippen don't so. still cannot come to grips with the fact and eight minutes into episode one, eight minutes into episode one, our boy Jay Adande looks into the camera and declares that Scottie Pippen is the greatest number two of all time. That's not a slight. That's the that's a compliment. And how could you expect to be more than a sidekick when you play with the greatest player ever? I just don't understand where this disrespect and this condensation that Scottie Pippen is referring to. Or, or did I say that right? Condensation? I'm not, I'm not talking about. Yeah, no, condescension. Condescension. That, that condescension. Condescension, excuse me. Yeah, I said condensation, okay. like like weather. I was like, condensation, like, like water. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was yeah, like yeah. is it hot? Right. Is it <laughs> is there are the droplets <laughs> on the window? <laughs> condescension, thank you. This condescension that he's referring to, I just don't see where it's coming from. What more does he want? He's universally respected. What more does Scottie Pippen want? I think he I think he wants people to understand that it wasn't inevitable. Like he said it. He said in that excerpt that Michael Jordan would have been a superstar anywhere. But he wouldn't have gone to the worldwide heights, six championships in eight years without Scotty and Horace Grant and Steve Kerr and all the other people, the Dennis Rodman, all the others that he mentioned 
And it's not just Scotty. Now, this is a this is an important point. Scotty's not the only one who feels this way. I believe that he's the only one who is verbalizing it. But I believe that other I, I know Horace Grant has said something too. But by the way, Horace Grant uh, called it a so-called documentary. He kept saying called so-called documentary because he thought it was fiction and it was uh, it was geared toward Michael, just like Scotty feels the same way. As it should be. I think Michael Jordan's teammates say, what are you on? You own one, dog. I know you great, but come on, man. You ain't winning six without us. You ain't. You can't just drop Michael Jordan into any situation and get six championships and the greatest player ever, as you say, the greatest player, player ever without exactly. much of a debate. Ooh, but, I, but that's, one, that's one, one thing from Scotty's perspective. But... I got to say, there's some hatred involved from Scotty because you know what he said about you can't, guess what he said about LeBron? A player who's his equal, if not superior. Yeah. <laughs> now you hating dog, dog. You just hating. That's what I'm you saying. You hating Scotty. That's what I'm saying, Brian. Oh, Scotty Pippen and the rest of his teammates, like go sit down somewhere. Go ahead, go have all the seats in the United Center. Like go sit down somewhere. Like like I, I, again, I'm watching it. We all saw it. We all watched it. You can't. Michael didn't go it back. It was geared toward and, Mike. And and and, 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 and remix the right? highlights. We all saw Paxson make the shots. We all saw Kerr make the shots. We all saw Pippen dunking on people, you know, and and and, and stopping people. He's universally recognized as one of the greatest players ever. Full stop. One of the greatest defenders ever. Full stop. One of the most versatile players ever. Full stop. His name continues to, to echo throughout history, but that's not enough for him. You want billboards? You want to be a worldwide icon? That just wasn't you, player, and that's okay. That's okay. I don't understand how if somebody is driving a car and they pick you up, you pissed off because you got to ride in the passenger seat. He wasn't in the back seat. He was, a, he was riding shotgun with Michael Jordan. Jordan and Pippen, right. greatest duo of all time. Everybody knows this. Scottie Pippen ain't telling us nothing we don't know that Jordan didn't win those titles by himself. We know that. But okay, the way the Scottie story Pippen, was told, it was yeah. told the way it should have been told, which was the foundation no. of those championships, was Michael mm, Jordan. I'm not sure no, about that. Michael. Michael Jordan sure preceded that. Scottie Pippen. Okay, look, okay, I'll, I'll put it to you another way. I'll put it to you another way. This is the little brother getting pissed at the big brother for having a greater inheritance. Because, okay, let's say in some alternate universe that, that Scottie Pippen was an equal player to Michael Jordan, for argument's sake. Let's, let's, get in, let's, let's say he was equal to Michael Jordan, okay? Right, right. Okay. okay. If he were equal, Jordan got there first. Jordan had already hit the shot against Georgetown. Jordan had already been an Olympian. Bobby Knight had already said he was the greatest player he'd ever seen. He'd already dropped 63 on the Celtics in the Garden before Scottie Pippen got there. Then, That's right. yes, they took flight when Scotty finally grew up. No question about it. When Scotty came into his own, that's when they became the Bulls as we know them. But Michael Jordan was already Michael Jordan. So you mad because history did not favor you chronologically? You follow Jordan. He was already there. He was already a global icon before he got there. He ain't mad at history. He ain't mad at history. He wants to, he, he he wants to rewrite mad. it, apparently. Hey, listen, he's, he's, he's not mad at Bobby Knight. He's not mad at the 1984 Olympics. Uh, he's not mad at uh, Michael Jordan and, and Boston Garden scoring 63. And Larry Bird saying that wasn't a basketball player. That was God and sneakers. That's who that was. I think what he's mad at is Mike. He, who, who he's mad at is Michael, the man. 
I think he's mad at Michael at, at Michael Jordan storyteller. No, no, I think mad mad at Michael Jordan storyteller rather than Michael Jordan basketball player storyteller Michael Jordan and his graciousness or lack thereof when it comes to spreading the wealth and talking about how this thing happened. That's well, I didn't say he's right. I didn't say I agree with them. Okay, okay. I didn't right, say I agree enough. with them. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm okay, just but telling even you, still, but even still, that's what I'm holes, seeing, Michael. and that's what I'm hearing. But when you watched it, again, I'm rewatching it to try to be fair. I'm gonna rewatch it. Oh, I'll get yeah. bigger. It's just since you threw out the Michael dance. Jordan. It's the Michael Jordan origin story with some tweaks. Like, for example, like, okay, oh, I, I just got. This I is, did not. This we like, didn't watch the I, same I, documentary. Oh, I see it. I, this, here, here's, here's a small thing. Just a small thing. It's, it's humorous to me. Because I like accuracy. Remember that sign, that funny sign? We, we used to see it every day at the Boston Globe over the sports department. It said accuracy is a cornerstone of our business and accuracy was misspelled intentionally. Anyway, and somebody did the little carrot and put the C in there. Anyway, mm-hmm. just for, mm-hmm. I, I love accuracy. So, in the 1982 game, if you watch the last dance, it was just Michael Jordan hit the shot and the game was over. But that ain't how it ended. Like, come on, right? Why are we doing this? Remember Freddie Brown? Remember throwing to the wrong guy? That's how the game ended. The game didn't okay. end on the shot. The shot was important. But There's also it was this thing called like, editing. You can't. Okay, it's not, it wasn't a story about the game. Edit. But it okay. was about Michael right. Jordan before he got to it, Chicago it and how hyped he it, was when I they took him third. It was the last third. dance. It was the last they, dance. They had to set the table it wasn't for Michael 98. They had to set the table for 97, 98. Days. All right, man. It Y'all live in a different world team. where the best player of all time doesn't deserve to be front and center. He's the front Scottie and Pippen center. Got, He's Scottie Pippen was the, was the sympathetic figure early on in the last dance for how he was it mistreated was by Michael the Bulls front Jordan's office. View. It was Michael Jordan's view of the final season. And if that if they want to bill it, then that, do your own. Then do your own. Do your own. See how many people tune in for Scottie Pippen's version of it. Let me tell you something. I was entertained by it. I love the last dance. I thought it was great. I thought it was well done. Uh, all the props you want to give it, give it the props. But if I'm a teammate of Michael Jordan's like Horace Grant or Scottie Pippen and it's built as the last dance and you experience it, you just said it, Mike. Mike, think it be fair. Be fair here. You said these are guys who rode in the front seat with Michael Jordan. So they no, know things Scottie that we Pippen don't know. Did. I said Scottie right, Pippen, Pippen did. Scottie did. Scotty rode in the front seat. He knows things about Jordan that we don't know. He saw things that we didn't see. And his expectation was that the last dance was going to be that story. And that story doesn't exist. It was. So it was. It was about the final season. It covered the it covered the Kraus Reinsdorf versus Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan angle. It covered the ebbs and flows and ups and downs of the season. And in doing so, told then, people's backstories. Rodman's backstory, Phil's backstory, Steve Kerr's backstory. Scottie Pippen's backstory, bruh, Michael Jordan, they all roll Michael Jordan's coattails. Okay, because don't ask yourself what Michael Jordan would have been if he'd have been somebody else, somewhere else. What would Scottie Pippen have been if he was somewhere else? It goes both ways. It goes both ways. And he was brilliant for that moment that, that Michael Jordan walked away. 1.8 seconds notwithstanding. Okay, he was great for that moment that Michael Jordan walked away. All right, but... Is Scottie Pippen writing a book? Does anybody want to hear about Scottie Pippen absent from his commentary about Michael Jordan? Like, let's not bite the hand that fed you, player. Let's not get this, this thing twisted. I almost cussed just now. Let's not get mm. this thing twisted. That's the greatest player of all time. It did tell a comprehensive story of the 97-98 season and the Bulls dynasty. And there's such a thing 
in storytelling, as you know, Michael, as a leading man. And Jordan well, was the leading man. This was not an ensemble cast. This was Michael Jordan and his supporting actors. And if you find that insulting, I don't know what to tell you. But what I do know is Scottie Pippen is universally respected and regarded as one of the greatest players of all time. Independent of Michael so. Jordan. He doesn't feel it. He doesn't, he doesn't feel, feel it. And anyway, I'm not sure company. how he doesn't feel it. Because everybody says it. And, and, and you know who looked like a bad guy in the documentary was Jordan. Jordan being selfish about Scotty's contract made Jordan look like an a-hole in the documentary. Did it not? We got company. We got company. I, I, I you know, we, we, we're arguing. We're that's arguing an, in front of company. Point. Hey, look, hey, that's an interesting point. Let's get the character. <laughs> let's, get, let's, get, let's get the character. Uh, we'll come back to this later. We even talk about the contemporary bulls. Um, oh well, hey, there's nothing to say about them. They're not well, as interesting. I, wait, no, right I got I gotta come back. I gotta defend Marcus Smart. In the meantime, I'm gonna see if there's any condensation on my window uh, outside. There you go. Uh, you go. I'll try to be less. Con- defend, I'll try to be less condescending. <laughs> you you go defend a point guard who had no assist. I love that. In 33 I, minutes, about, you're the point but guard. What about the sub? What about the, the substance of the critique? What about the substance? The, the critique is the correct. Substance? It's just maybe not the. Maybe not the right night to bring up <laughs> to bring don't that. don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> oh. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. You know, surprising. You know, I love, you know, the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, it's just, you know, all the, everything is just still, you know, new. And, um, you know, it's hard to, you know, really put the emotions into words. You know, this is all I know. This is, you know, this is all I, you know, ever, you know, ever knew playing a pro, pro sports here with, here with the Denver Broncos. I, you know, I've been here through the ups and the downs. And, you know, it's always tough whenever you, whenever you leave, though. But I, I love all my fans. I love Broncos country. Um, when I said Broncos for life, I meant that. And it'll always be on my heart. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to, you know, play here. Um, John Elway picked me in and, you know, it's life-changing. Yeah, ever since then, you know, being able to play with Peyton Manning, DeMarcus Ware, Champ Bailey, uh, Brian Dawkins, Tim Tebow, um, you know, all of these guys, man. And it's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege. And, you know, it's, it's still kind of hard to put it in words. It's still kind of raw. But, you know, I thank, thank you. Thank, thank everybody, you know, and uh, you know, off to L.A. All right. Thomas Dimitrov, uh, former general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. And Thomas, uh, you know about uh, the, the general manager who acquired Von Miller. That's Les Snead. He worked with you very closely in Atlanta. And I got to tell you, I thought you were aggressive. I know you're aggressive uh, with your trade for Julio Jones and other deals. I think Les Snead was watching you and said, okay, all right, boss. I can be aggressive too. What do you think about this trade? First of all, I think the trade was really good. I was surprised, however. I watched the emotional side of Vaughn. That's got to be tough, you know, when you put your life 
putting your heart and soul into everything. It's it's complicated. Um, look, less where less is right now in the league as far as his approach. I love it. I don't always agree with what he does over the years. He and I are very close. We have some differences of opinion. How he approaches things, uh, I mean, I just think he's confident. He is really focused on making sure that he's keeping everything in, in sound order when you're talking about the middle of the draft picks. He's going out there and he's and he's getting people that that have proven themselves. That's where they're spending their money. A lot of people won't do this. I think they've done a really good job putting things together. This is a great year for them so far. I love their big big moves, and this is another move that's honestly is a is a big thumbs up for me with with uh, you know with less. Now look, a lot of different things. When you think about putting together trades, it's not easy. Historically, I've never been a big trade guy in my entire time in Atlanta. Guys never traded in the middle of the season. Never big trades. I wasn't about that. I think it has to do with your coach, your head coach your coordinators and your position coaches, they have to be in line with the type of people you're bringing in, especially big guys like Von Miller. I think money has to be very, very uh, detailed as far, as far as how you approach it. You better have the right money situation. And then I really, really believe that from a scheme standpoint, it's not easy. You can't just go out there and pick any position and bring them into your organization. I think it's really, really important to make sure that it all plays together. And I think Les has a really good understanding, and, and kudos to his approach. Well, we all family, you know. We we cool with Les, you know. Let, let us be nosy for a second. We need to pry into your relationship. Let's go back to the beginning of your answer. What are some of those differences of, of opinion or different philosophies that you guys share? Look, I, I go in. You know how I feel. It's all about drafting. I mean, I'm a big draft guy. My background, interestingly enough, was college. Les Need, really close friend of mine, even when he worked with us in in Atlanta. He was the pro guy. You can imagine mm. that. So we work on different ends of the spectrum. We always okay. have the college guys who believe that college is the best way to approach it. He's a pro guy. So people think that he doesn't care about draft picks, which quite honestly, the more I dig into his approach, I realize they are, again, just focused on making sure that they're, they're utilizing those middle round picks and they're growing and, and putting together the other picks. I don't necessarily believe that I want to go into a situation like this and give away all those draft picks. That's some of what I disagree with. They are approaching gotcha. it with an edgy approach, guys. I love it. I think it's good. Kudos to them. Yeah, um, do you think... Uh, ahead, it, so based on... I was going to say, based on what you said, I, I think I, I probably know the answer to this question that's been floating around in my head, and that is, can a team win a Super Bowl at the deadline. In other words, you go back and say, hey, you know what? We won it this year, and if it hadn't been for this acquisition of this corner, this running back, this wide receiver, this offensive lineman, we would have been stuck. Can you see a situation where a team can elevate itself to a Super Bowl champion at the trading deadline, where, which we are uh, six minutes away from reaching right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, again, I think it's really important. I think to be open to it, is much different than I would have approached in my earlier years. And I think for Les, Les is willing to do a lot of moves as a general manager and his head coach, of course. They work together that way. You know, look, I even look back to Dante Fowler. I mean, what they did for Fowler to get into the Super Bowl a few years ago, they right. did things that, you know, they stepped up and made a move. They were just shy of winning a Super Bowl, but he was really important as far as being the acquisition that was going to help him get over the, the edge. I think this this could be the very similar situation with Von Miller. I, I again, I keep going around in circles here, guys. 
It takes it takes no. it takes some serious nuts. No, you're not going on in circles at all. And even but even like I would say, Michael, they didn't get Jalen Ramsey at this deadline, but they got Jalen Ramsey at the deadline. If they end up winning the Super Bowl, they got Jalen Ramsey, which brings me. This is so fascinating for me, Thomas. I'm so glad you're here to talk about this from a paradigm standpoint. We'll get into other deals that didn't happen momentarily, but just I want to follow up because isn't it that push pull you talked about between, you know, building strictly through the draft or using draft picks as a different kind of currency to acquire proven commodities and veteran players, given how much of a crapshoot, and you know this, and what an inexact science the college draft is to begin with, isn't it just about just acquiring good players? However you do that, whether that's free agency, whether that's the draft, whether that's college free agents, whether it's early round, middle round, late round, or trading draft picks, then it just come down to if you have an opportunity to make your team better, you do it, and then you look on your draft board and say, hey, what happened to our second and third round picks last year? Oh, yeah, that was Von Miller. Like, isn't that kind of the bottom line? That's the bottom line. Mike, I mean, look, again, Les's approach, he's been mocked by people about it, and their team has been like, really, they're giving away all of these really good opportunities to draft young guys and build. There is such a precarious element to drafting in today's world. It is the way it is. Some step up, and they thrive. Others don't. You can look at every position. You can look at quarterbacks, defensive ends, et cetera, et cetera. But you draft in the top 10, you know, in the draft who don't work out. You're projecting on the college side. Les's approach, and I've talked to him ad nauseum about it. Their approach yeah. is we know what these guys are already, and we know their talents. We know their abilities. Now, you have to also remember, and this was a really interesting conversation I had with Les recently. As an organization, it's imperative that you understand what the personality is. It could be some character issues. Whatever it may be, understand what you're getting into, uh, i.e. some of the players that may have some character stuff that may not fit in for certain organizations or with certain mm -hmm. organizations. Understand what they are. Understand you may have a guy or two who might fall asleep literally in meetings during the week. <laughs> Don't fight that. He's going to thrive on Sundays if he falls asleep one or two days, this is hypothetically, just as long as your head coach knows and your people know, let's move forward with it. Let's have him thrive and understand. Don't fight it and understand, like, I can't believe this is happening. We, we stretched out here. We got these guys in line. And now all of a sudden they're falling asleep in meetings. No. If they can get things done, sack people, get big receptions, knock balls down, PBUs from some guys that may not be the, the best or the upstanding character, but they're performing. Let's go in that direction. Again, that's that's not easy to do. A lot of us, and my background was much more college. I wanted yeah. to build it off of, uh, you know, the mindset of let's build together. That takes a while. Right. Less is getting right. into it, knowing what the, the upside is. We got about two minutes before the deadline. Um, so it seems like it's going to be a pretty quiet one. I'd like to follow up with this. Put, put yourself in a position. So great insight into Les Snead. Can you put yourself in a position of his competitors? And I'm talking specifically in Dallas, in Green Bay, in Arizona. Not necessarily Tampa because they've been, you know, another friend of yours, Jason Light. He's been aggressive pretty much year-round. But I wonder, did you ever feel pressure? Or do you think they may be feeling pressure to, to, to participate in something of an arms race when you see another team that's on your level improve themselves. You're like, man, I got, I got to do something. I can't just stand by idly and sit on my hands here. Well, I think, you know, again, certain people can approach things. There are other GMs out there, as you can imagine, who have a completely different approach who are saying, okay, 
I'm not necessarily, or they may not necessarily be behind the idea of bringing in a guy who has a really important build uh, to putting the roster together. But they believe, on the other hand, that they can continue to build guys that are down-the-line players. They're much more comfortable, some GMs out there, you know, maybe making moves who are down-the-line players for backup, you know, depth. But when you really approach it uh, to bring in a guy who's going to be the difference maker, that becomes complicated for certain people. So, again, my, my point here is some people believe in that. Other people believe they're just going to go after the guy who's going to take them over the top. And, you know, there is a, there, you do get pressed that way when you're not making moves and your fan base is, is jumping in and your owner potentially is knocking on your door saying, hey, what do we have here? What can we do to make a difference here? There, as a GM, that is hanging over your head. You, it takes the creativity of your general manager within a team to look at your owner and to sit down with your head coach and say, this is what's best for the organization. You may or may not believe in me, but let's make the move. Let's, let's, let's take a deep breath, stand with our head, you know, head high, and let's, let's make a move. You know, you're not always going to hit it. And there's always pressure to make sure that you rise up and, and compete with your, your brethren out there for sure, your contemporaries. Rise up, old school Atlanta Falcons marketing promo. I love that. Hey, that wasn't even intentional. But uh, let me ask you this. Another friend, another friend. You must have a lot of friends, Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, Nick Casario, general manager, first-year general manager in Houston, decides maybe by himself or in, in collaboration with the front office and ownership that they're going to hold on to Deshaun Watson. I think that's risky. I know Mike thinks that's risky. How do you feel about the decision just to stick with Deshaun maybe until the offseason? Well, I mean, I, I've thought about it a lot, putting myself in that position hypothetically, and I, and I see where Nick is going with this. He knows he, it, it's, it's worth a lot of uh, booty, so to speak, or compensation. You know, the, the six people that are involved in this, as people are talking about it, the idea of waiting for, for the season to end where they know exactly what they're talking about as far as what position, you know, that he's moving towards when he does make the trade. Yes, I understand that it's important to get this done now and you, you, you must make some moves or, or must uh, give in a little bit. But, you know, again, to Nick, he needs to make sure he gets as much out of this as possible. He's very fortunate, as you both know, that the league didn't step up and apply things to Deshaun Watson. He's really fortunate that the league has not put that out there, and you know that. I'd be interested to get your take on it because as, as a GM and knowing that the league isn't putting restrictions on this quarterback, that's a big, big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Texans and Deshaun uh, have more or less left, let the league off the hook. And in turn, to your point, is let Casario and everybody else keep going with their business because of Deshaun's unwillingness to put on a Texans uniform again. Just to say, I'm not playing, he definitely made it a lot easier uh, for all parties involved. Um, we still got Thomas? Yeah, I'm, I'm there sorry. We go. Yeah, there sorry. Is. Hey, so uh, Thomas, I don't, I don't remember this. Uh, pivoting to a, a trade of something of a significant trade, if not for the player, just the participants. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, did you ever make an intra-divisional trade your time in Atlanta, or even, a, or even, uh, even not even, a, not even to even a trade to a competitor, somebody that like? Because I'm looking at the Steelers trading Melvin Ingram to Kansas City, and that raised my eyebrows. I'm like, man, y'all both kind of 
competing for the same thing. I would I would let Kansas City figure out its problems on its own, even if you know I want to get something back for a player that had fallen out of rotation. I'm not trying to help my competition. Where do you come down on that as a GM? Okay, so I do believe that you have to look at competition. I believe that you uh, ideally do not trade someone to you know your maiden competitors. Yes, I agree with that. I'm going to come back to what I said a little bit earlier. It is vital that you as a GM or that the GMs out there know their staff. They know their head coach, they know their coordinator, and they know the position coaches. You have to know that these guys fit in. It's easy to say, yeah, bring them in, everything's fine. And then once they get into your organization, after you make the trade, and you have coach, your head coach who's not necessarily uh, buying in as the season goes on. Look, we had some guys... We had some guys back in the day making trades and moves. You have to understand this as a GM. I, we, we, made, we made moves on like a guy like Ray, Ray Edwards. If you guys remember that name. I'm not throwing darts here, but the reality is Mike Smith and I had ideas about bringing someone into our organization that we were fine with him until we started living with that player, and then it became mm-hmm. complicated. It is imperative as general managers and team builders, head coaches, that you know exactly what you're getting comes back to that and you make the moves with everything in line before you know you realize that oh everything's fine and then all of a sudden your coaching staff is not hitting it on, on all strides with the guys you're acquiring so that is a big and important thing for me as a, as a GM you have to make sure that you can have an owner and you can have a fan base who's saying we really want this move but I know deep down as a GM and so do other people out there if your head coach is not hitting it on all strides with your position coaches and your coordinators man I think, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, climbing up a tree on it. Uh, last thing I got for you, Thomas, and it's something of a somber note, but um, would love to get your, your personal feelings on it. I, I wonder how the story of a former first-round draft pick of yours, Calvin Ridley, um, how his stepping away from the game to uh, address uh, his emotional and mental well-being how that hits you as somebody who obviously knows the player very well enough to have brought him in your organization. So Calvin Ridley, I think is a fantastic football player. I think it's unfortunate. He no longer has his sort of uh, brotherhood with Julio Jones. They were, they were tight, you know, at least, at least organizationally speaking. I thought that, that this team, the Atlanta Falcons were going to continue to grow, uh, you know, with him, which was really important. Calvin Ridley, he was going to grow with their, with their new tight end situation, by the way. I thought, you know, Matt Ryan needed that. He was going to be the guy that was going to take it over the top. You know, they have two tight ends there, of course, with Hayden Hurst, as well as their stud draft pick this year. And by the way, a little aside, Hayden Hurst should be on the the trade deadline. I think he Mm -hmm. he missed it. That's a really good football player. And I do believe that the Atlanta Falcons should not only use the two tight ends there because Matt thrives with tight ends. We've seen that all the way back to Tony Gonzalez. And then you have that big-time receiver like Calvin Ridley. Calvin stepping away is, you know, from an organization, it's really tough. But when you really dig into the person he is, people are pulling from there, uh, pulling for him. They really like him. It's unfortunate that he's dealing with this. I, I pray for him just like everyone else in the organization. You know, the mental side of this world right now, there's a lot there. Today's world, you see this today. You wouldn't have seen that probably 20 or 30 years. So to his credit taking a deep breath and hopefully he'll he'll hit uh, hit it stride and come back who knows when that will be guys but this organization needs Calvin Ridley they need him 100% and I hope it works out for him appreciate that you know, I you know Thomas 
I appreciate you coming on, man. I just want to say also for those who don't know, and, and I know Michael knows and I know it too. This is something that has been important to you uh, as a general manager uh, in the NFL to kind of go away from the old rub some dirt on it and keep going mentality. You've always pressed against that push back and yes, I tried to just actually get it out of the game. So I'm glad that uh, you look at it the way that you do. And, and I'm hopeful that more executives and owners and media and fans will catch up and look at it that way as well. So yeah, I thank you, man. I think it's vital, vital last thing that your player development group within an organization is very sound and very approachable in all of this. And they understand we are so fortunate that we're evolving and we could talk ad nauseum for, for hours later on this. And I would love to, because as we are evolving as a league and as we're evolving as team builders and coaches, et cetera, we're heading in the right direction. It's very, very important. What's, whether it's the underrepresented, whether it's, you know, whoever it may be that the, the Raiders are dealing with now in their situation, there's a lot out there. And I love to see that we are moving in the right direction. And, and I, I think it's the, the more we can benefit from it, the more people can learn, the more people can be honest about what they're dealing with. Uh, the better for the organization and better for, better for the fan base, et cetera, et cetera. Appreciate your vulnerability and transparency, brother. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Yeah. Insight. I feel like Thank I know less need, like the back of my hand now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What the team needs is first and foremost, um, and, and that's just how it goes. That's the component of team sport and football in particular. Um, that's always the first and foremost. But from a team perspective also, um, it, it's better to have volunteers as opposed to hostages. And so that's good for the team as well. I love them. So, so I love them too, man. man. Explaining oh, the logic wow. of trading Melvin Ingram, you know, who uh, once uh, Highsmith <laughs> came back into the picture, kind of fell out of the pass rusher rotation. They traded him for a six-round pick to Kansas City, uh, which, you know, listen, far be it for me to question the wisdom of Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin, but I just, I'm not in, I, I'm not in the business of helping out my enemies. Friend of the show, Brian McFadden, is here. He's the co-host of. Uh, all things covered with B Mac and Patrick Peterson, former Pittsburgh Steeler, former Arizona Cardinal, former Florida State Seminole, Seminole excuse me, two-time Super Bowl champion. Let's let's start with the Steelers, though, B Mac. I mean, you know, if you're in that locker room and you know Kansas City, they got back to 500, they're struggling, and you're trading a, a, a key piece that could potentially help them. Chris Jones moves back, moves back inside. It boosts the competitor. You raising an eyebrow there, or are you trusting Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert? I'm trusting trusting uh, Mike T and Kevin, but you got to still raise your eyebrow just a little bit. Granted, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're not in the same division as the Pittsburgh Steelers, but the Chiefs, we know the issues they've been having on the defensive side has been well documented. I mean, not being able to stop 
uh, the rushing attack from opposing offenses, uh, creating pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They got Melvin Ingram, who also is familiar with that division, and you pair him up uh, with Chris Jones, uh, Frank Clark. Personnel-wise, they got better. But you have to trust uh, the decision-making ability coming from Mike T and Kevin Colbert. All right, you call him Mike T. That means uh, you know him better than we do. And we love hearing his quotes. We always go to Mike Tomlin quotes, uh, Brian, uh, whenever we get an opportunity. So I just wrote it down. It's better to have volunteers as opposed to hostages. I'm sure you've heard many uh, Mike Tomlin quotes uh, and, and, and some great conversations with him. You know, give us, give us uh, some insight into what, what that's like when you're in a meeting with him or in a game time situation and he comes up to you and, and gives you some words. Yeah, well, we call them Tomlin-isms, right? Mm -hmm. He has a way to put together things that doesn't really make sense at that time, but it makes sense. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. Like, prime example, that 2008 run we had when we were 13-3, and we ended up winning the Super Bowl against the Arizona Cardinals. One thing he emphasized every week, it's a five-star matchup because we're in it. It's not about who who we're playing. It's because the Pittsburgh Steelers are in it. So just because of that, it's a five-star matchup. You know what I mean? My big money players need to play like big money players, things like that. So he has a way with words. And right there, what he said, basically referring to Melvin Ingram, I'm not going to hold anybody in this building who don't want to be in this building. I want to I have guys that are willing to volunteer and do whatever it is we ask them to do and do it with a smile on their face. And because Melvin Ingram wasn't quite ready to buy into that system, he now will be wearing a new uniform in the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, he had quietly asked for a trade uh, out of quietly. Pittsburgh. So there's, there's two sides. Exactly. There's two sides to it. Um, Pittsburgh's won three in a row. And for whatever it's worth in this league, they got a pretty favorable schedule coming up. I believe uh, Chicago and Detroit back to back. So they could go on a bit of a run here. Uh, I, though, remain skeptical as to whether or not they're as good as they have looked the past several weeks against Denver, Seattle, and Cleveland, given how offensively compromised those three outfits are. How good are these Steelers? And more important, how can they be the rest of the way, B-Mac? Right now, they're good enough to beat the teams they're supposed to beat, right? And I think the teams they just took care of outside of Cleveland, Seattle playoff hopes are down the drain. The Broncos have no playoff hopes at all. Cleveland, they're still on the outside looking in, but I think they have a legit chance to get into the playoffs if they can get healthy. But Pittsburgh took care of their business. But can they beat playoff caliber teams at any given time? I'm not quite ready to say that because I have my reservations concerned the offense. You hit on the offense, Mike. Yes, they've been stagnant. I mean, running-wise, Najee Harris is starting to surface uh, surface more, uh, running the football and catching the football, but they become so predictable. And I think mm-hmm. they need to find a way to become more explosive because they're getting great production of their defense. But what we saw last year was what? The defense mentally, they, they, got, they got tired. They got fatigued mentally and physically. So they got to find a way offensively to up their ante to match the production coming from the defensive side because at some point in time, trust me, the wear and, and the wear and tear on your body and your mind will surface and it will become too much for you to handle. And that was a storyline for them last year. So yes, they can beat the team they're supposed to beat, but they're not right there when you look at some of the elites of the elites in the AFC. I know we got a, a 17 game schedule now, but we're essentially at the midpoint of the season. And you can only pick one. You can only pick one. A team that you say, this is the best. I'm going to invest in them. Let's say we have some play money. We're going to invest in that team. Where are you going to put the bulk of your investment investment capital? 
And the entire NFL, or are we talking one conference, AFC or NFC? Entire NFL. Entire league. That's tough. Make it tough. Take it one right? at a time. Honestly, let's, let's take it one at a time. Let's make it a little easier. Let's take it one at a time. Let's go AFC first. Because we thought that your old rival Cincinnati looked like they were coming for the oh, crown no, 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 only no, to give it no up we. to Mike. Okay. No, we, so, well, you're right. You're right. Okay. Some of us. Go ahead, Brian. See? 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 Look. Look. Okay. AFC first. Take it where you Word association. Before you answer that question, word association, I say to you, Bengals, and you say what? Inconsistent. I feel some type oh, of way with Cincinnati. You know why? That was nice. I had Cincinnati in one. I had Cincinnati in one of my parlays. So this is a bit personal for me. I had Cincinnati okay. just to win, just the outright win money line, like in my parlay. Yeah. All you gotta do is win. Just beat the yeah. Jets. That's it. You just beat Baltimore. You kick them in the mouth. Others put up almost fifty points. Just win. He lost to the Jets to Mike White. Mike White put up four hundred yards, three touchdowns, and he caught a two point conversion. So yeah, I feel some yeah. type of way about Cincinnati. I, I should never put my money on a divisional four, even though I'm not playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's still a divisional four in my eyesight, and that's what I get for betting on a team that I don't like. So you know what, B Mac, <laughs> I'm talking in the third person. Yes, I'm gonna listen. So I feel some type of way. But going back to your initial question, I think AFC. Just AFC. Yeah. Yo, I was really high on Tennessee. Like I had Tennessee extremely high on my board before the Derrick Henry ha- uh, Derrick Henry injury happened. Now, I'm not quite ready to have them in the thick of things as AFC. So I think right now the best team would be Buffalo. I'll go Buffalo. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and reason being, quarterback-wise, if you got a quarterback, you got a legit shot to reach a championship, they have that. And the one team that can manhandle them from what we've seen in years past is Tennessee, and they will have to be able to do that without Derrick Henry. So I'll go Buffalo. Uh, NFC-wise... Yo, the yeah, your, NFC partner, right your partner just saw the Cowboys went with his backup quarterback. You know, Pat Peterson's Vikings Listen, just saw the Cowboys yeah, yeah, make yeah, his backup. Yeah. Cooper Rush, right? Cooper Rush, man. He can yeah. go get any meal for free in Dallas from here on out because of what he did last Sunday. Uh, the NFC is like the Western Conference in years past. They have so many teams that can compete for a championship. Uh, and I'm talking NBA in years past the Western Conference. I'll go. I'll go Dallas. I'll go Dallas. I'll go Dallas. And the reason why I go Dallas, guys, wow. the balance offensively, they can win with a health. Now, granted, this all is about the health of Dak Prescott, right? So if Dak Prescott is healthy, running-wise, they can run the football. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, offensive line structure is there. Throwing the football, they got three guys. And now the emergence of Cedric Wilson eventually get Michael Gallup back. They add depth in the wide receiver position. They got two number ones for sure. And the third guy is not shabby either. I like that. But the most... Uh, important thing for me in picking the Cowboys defensively. Dan Quinn has really changed the culture defensively, and eventually they will get their best pass rusher back into Marcus Lawrence. So when you factor all that into the equation compared to some of the other teams in the NFC, I think Dallas right now, man, ha- will get my nod as a number one team in the NFC. All right, so man, I you know I heard you, I heard you make that reference that to the Western Conference. I know you're a Hoops fan and you're a Lakers fan. So, uh, let, what's up? What's up with the Lakers? You 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 think they can uh, figure it out, or they look a little they look a little shaky at the early early season here? I'm gonna keep it real with you. I wanted Buddy Hill instead of Russell. I felt like Buddy would fit better into what we do offensively, along with some of the other guys we brought in. Um, Russell, you said it, we. It, yeah, it's not really it's not really working right now. You know what I mean? So it's going to take some time, but 
we, we have what we have and we got to make it right. But they got to find, it's up to Frank, right? He got to be able to put the pieces together and, and understand who should be on the court at the same time. Because right now, Russell is not looking like the Russell we've seen in years past. And they got to they gotta write their sh- ship extremely fast to be able to be one of the best yeah, teams. Yeah, he does. They got time, though. Yeah, he does. He, do, he looks exactly like he has in years past. He, he's not a shooter. Like, you know, for the very reason you wanted Buddy Heal. Like, this is a, he turns it over at high volume, and he, and he you know, misses a lot of shots but, he otherwise should make. Mike, no question. He's never been a, a prolific like shooter. But one thing he right. has improved on is distributing the basketball. Right now, we're not oh, even getting no, it. Yeah. There's more to this. Yeah, yeah, no. Listen, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah. He'll figure it out. And, LeBron always and, LeBron and, and, always figured out. Don't worry. Don't, don't and, pay well, too, too and, and that's the other thing. That's the other thing, Mike. I, I, I want to get, get BMAC on this because I don't know if you saw our little uh, first hour recap where Scotty Pippen was saying a lot of things about Michael Jordan, but one thing he put in there, he said LeBron is equal to, if not superior to Jordan. Just your take on that on the way out. Is, is, is Scotty Hayden or does he got a point? Would you, if you go LeBron Jordan, you get LeBron the edge? Come on now, B-Mack. We're talking about just primarily on the court? Yeah, that's on all. The court. It's on the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, Scotty. Just, just on the court. Just who? Scotty and his feelings. Yeah, Scotty Hayden. Uh, MJ yeah. is MJ. You know what I mean? MJ never lost in NBA Finals. Uh, he, he's, he's always been one of the more dominant players in, in, in the NBA in his prime years. And I think the best way to kind of dissect the two, to compare or contrast LeBron and Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan was in this prime, I was a little, I was a little child. I used to watch him. I, grew up, I was a Laker fan back then, back in the Showtime days. But Michael Jordan sparked fear into me. And I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't on the court. It's like anytime Michael Jordan was on the court, he, he made you afraid. Like he could literally win a ball game by himself because he was that good. And the way he went and approached, his approach of the game was like, I'm going to be the enemy. I don't care. I want all the smoke. I'm looking for the smoke. It was personal for him. You know what I mean? So I don't think LeBron has ever provided that type of fear factor like MJ provided when he stepped on the court. You heard some of the stories. I mean, guys were scared to talk trash to MJ. They're like, hey, hey, calm down, man. Don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to make them mad. You don't want to get them heated. Like, that's fear fact. That's like the, the element of fear is something that a lot of people can't uh, uh, distribute. Better yet, just have naturally. And that's, that's who MJ was. So me personally, 6-0 and in the finals, I think that should be case closed. But you still can make an argument. But, yeah, I, I will go with MJ. Well, B-Mag, you just dropped a double nickel, man. We appreciate you falling through. Uh, continued success to you. And uh, come back again soon and kick it with us, all right? Uh, no problem. Thank you for having so. me. All right, brother, man. Thank you. The fear factor. The fear factor of MJ. That was real, though, Mike. That was real. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. We did not score enough points yesterday. Uh, we, we haven't scored enough points the last few weeks, like you mentioned. Uh, we, we have to look at it. we got to uh, find ways to be explosive with the ball, run game, pass game. Uh, we have to stay on the field and convert on third downs. And then when we get down to the red zone, we got to convert those into points. So there's, 
there's a bunch of plays like there are every week uh, that we all wish we had back. And, and we got to make sure that we capitalize on them uh, because that's in, in order to score those points, uh, we got to make some big plays in the run of the pass. We missed some opportunities is probably the easiest way of putting it. And, uh, and that's where I need to do a better job. I got to put guys in position uh, to go make a play. Uh, you know, the guys will tell you when there's plays that, that they want to make them. Um, and, and there were some drops yesterday uh, that's uncharacteristic, uh, but we got to make those plays. And, and there's plays when uh, I know I can do a better job. So uh, we got to we got to take care of it. We got to address it. We got to practice it. But we absolutely have to be better. I need to do a better job. Uh, I really do. I need to make sure uh, that, that I put him in position to make some plays. And, and I didn't do a good enough job. Uh, certainly yesterday. Well, eventually we got to the point, which is that Kevin Stefanski um, acknowledged that he needs to do a better job of getting Odell Beckham the ball. One catch, six yards in his last game. Um, His dad, Odell Beckham Sr., that is, did an excellent job of putting Baker Mayfield on blast. Shout out to Pops Beckham Sr. um, for posting a, a soundtrack YouTube video of all the times that Odell Beckham has been wide ass open only for Baker Mayfield to not even look his way. So trade deadline is coming on and this just in not long ago from friend of the show Kimberly Martin. Uh, she says that she is told that there were discussions re Odell going to his hometown Saints but both sides couldn't agree on a workable deal given how much OBJ is owed for the rest of the year. Plus, there's still optimism yeah. in the Browns building that OBJ can be a big part of their second-half playoff push. I'm not sure where that optimism comes from um, because he's not even a medium part. Yeah, you got there's, there's steps to this. For him to be a big part, he has to be a part. And he, right now, he's just out there getting cardio. Uh, I can not, for the life of me, I don't buy this idea that he ain't the player he once was uh, or that you know, he's somehow at fault because it's not like he's got eight targets in one catch. He ain't even getting targeted. Right. You know, there's got to be something here that maybe eventually come out in the wash. Maybe they'll do a documentary. Maybe somebody will explain it. But look at he looked them off. Like, right. I'm so, I don't even have to be. I'm not even. I don't have to break down film. I don't need to all 22s. I was an unfortunate Odell Beckham fantasy owner. So I watched way too many Browns games than I wanted to this year and way too many possessions where Odell Beckham is wide open and Baker Mayfield looks him off. So, okay. Anyway, this is all true. Look, look, thanks. Pops. Let let him keep getting cardio, pay him for nothing. Yeah, I'm with you pops. Uh, Great job. You got to stand up for family, stand up for your son and, and point out the facts without getting emotional, overly emotional. So the facts are right there. It's plain as day. Pops is not the only one who said it. Other people have said that Odell Beckham has been open and he hasn't been thrown to. The question is why? Is this is there it's a, some it's a mystery issue? It well, or maybe not. Maybe it's not a mystery at all. Maybe That's Baker Mayfield doesn't have well, maybe Mayfield doesn't have confidence in Beckham. Or or maybe they're just just their chemistry is off. It could be personal. Or it could be professional. I don't know what it is, but the fact there's that, speculation like, that it's personal. Guy, that feels weird, but absent a, a, an obvious explanation. People start reaching for for reasons and it's like it's not it. Yep. There's not trusting a guy, but if somebody's open, you got to give him an opportunity. Like has he given him enough opportunities for Odell Beckham 
to have lost his trust is what I'm getting at. You, al you almost have to smoke him out. In, in this case, Odell Beckham Jr., give him credit because I'll tell you what he would, what he would have done three or four years ago. He would have put he would have put Baker Mayfield would have put put Baker Mayfield on blast in front of the cameras on the sideline everybody uh, everybody uh, nationally and locally to see and and he would have been proud of it maybe that's what needs to happen just kind of get some of this frustration out so they so they will have to address it honestly I feel he's like we're just kind of dancing around good something. soldier. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we're dancing around something that just needs to be articulated. What's going on? Uh, is, is Baker Mayfield like what? What's the story? What's the story? And on top of that, if the players can't handle it, you, we just heard from Kevin Stefanski. You're the head coach. You're the head coach. You're the play caller. You got to say something, and you got to address it. If it is personal, that's part of leadership. Say, look, y'all. I know there's something going on here. That's beyond us. We got to do what's best for the program, not uh, be on your agenda or yours. So let's just squash this. And it's an organizational. Hey, when well, you see the wide open, I don't care who it is. Throwing the ball. This is an organizational is. and institutional failure. This is professional football. If there is something personal, if there's some personal animus to where Baker Mayfield is freezing out Odell Beckham at the expense of his offense, which struggles to score as many as 17 points, then that's just dumb. That's just or like, that's cutting. That's the definition, or ten, or ten. even. But but, or, but that's just the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. If he is intentionally looking off somebody, if the play is taking him there, and Kevin Stefanski, I got to do a better job of getting him opportunities. Like he's open, he's open. So yeah. maybe Baker Mayfield doesn't know what he's seeing. Maybe he can't read the field. Maybe he just ain't that good. I don't know. But I refuse to believe that this is the best that OBJ has to offer. He may not be what he was in New York. But I don't think he's this bad. Um, pivoting to uh, he, another, I think under, the problem is the mm -hmm. problem. Is, just real quick on this, the problem is that he did he would have to restructure his contract to get out of there. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to advocate for anybody losing money. I want everybody to get sure. their money. I want you to get your money. I want professional athletes get get all the money you can. But I think that's the holdup. That probably was a hold up with the Saints because they have major salary cap uh, problems over the summer, and sure. they just couldn't take them on. But if you want to get out, you're going to have to make some well, uh, sacrifices, unfortunately. I mean, Kimberly says it was a deal that they, they couldn't come up with a deal between the teams, not necessarily a restructure, but a deal between the teams, given how much he is owed. So potentially, right. you know, maybe it was money. like, well, like you know how the Broncos are playing, paying so much of Von Miller's salary. Maybe the Browns right. weren't willing to do that. Maybe it was a salary cap situation. Yeah. Maybe it's a risk-reward thing. I, who knows? But... Bottom line is it's everybody's failing if this is the best you can get out of this guy who I believe can be cut after this year. I think without any guaranteed money. I could be wrong about that. But after this year, I think his contract gets a little bit more palatable. There was some speculation going back to that conversation we were having earlier about uh, possibly trading him to the Chiefs, which again would not have made any sense uh, given the uh, fact that they're both competing in the same conference uh, as potential playoff teams. Chiefs got a win last night. It was not pretty uh, at all. Uh, you can say a win's a win, but it felt like a loss because we're not opposite of a moral victory for the likes of, you know, a Detroit or a Jacksonville or somebody like that. This isn't a team that 
you know, on, on one hand, you say, well, you know what? At least they got back to 500 and they're at least in play for the playoffs. But this isn't a team where you're looking for them to struggle with self-inflicted wounds the way that they are mm-hmm. and were last night uh, against the Giants. So uh, here's Patrick Mahomes who threw uh, another interception last night and was bailed out of, uh, of even more turnovers. Me personally, I took a kind of a, a big picture look at it this last week after playing the Titans and Obviously, we didn't start the way we wanted to, and I kind of felt like I was trying to make stuff happen that wasn't there. Um, and I think in the game like today, I, I did a better job of, obviously, they're taking away the big shots. I wanted to throw the big shots, especially when we started stalling out uh, some of those drives. Um, but I kind of just kept with the, pro- uh, the process, kept with the, the game flow, and trusted in our defense. And they made a lot of stops. Uh, they, we, got, we got enough points on the board, and they were able to shut it down at the end of the game. A little walk off. All right, Mike. <laughs> yeah, a little walk off. Like, hey, hey, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, so, so Patrick Mahomes and and the Chiefs last night, a game that was a lot closer than I expected, and maybe you expected too. Uh, and at one point, the Giants looked like they were going to be in, in, in an opportunity, have an opportunity to win it. They get an interception. The score is tied at seventeen. Just under five minutes to play. They get an interception. Hey, they got the ball. They're celebrating. Offsides. offsides, offsides, and that allows Kansas City uh, to uh, get the ball, keep the ball, and come up with the winning points. Now, that man right there, Patrick Mahomes, is 26 years old. That's what I said. He's 26. That man, 26-year-old Patrick Mahomes, has been in the last three conference championship games, and he's won two of the three. And the one that he lost, he lost in overtime because funny how things work. One of his Dingo players ball. was offsides. Yeah. One of, the, one of his players was offsides, which allowed New England to extend the drive, and then they get an overtime, they get the ball, they score, and they win it. Now, I say all that because I'm having a hard time saying the Kansas City Chiefs are what the record says they are. I, I, I have issues with that, old, that famous quote from Bill Parcells. You think I have an issue with that. I think they are. I think they are better. Okay. Okay. And I can't bring myself to give up on 26-year-old Patrick Mahomes. Ain't done. Tyreek Hill's not done. Travis Kelsey's not done. Maybe the defense is not as good as it should be. Andy Reid's not done. Eric Bieniemy. Like, they've got all of this uh, elements in place. They've got great infrastructure. If you were looking at a house, if you're looking around, you're trying to buy a house, you say, this house has good bones. We can do something with this. As a matter of fact, beyond that, this house was built in 2017. It's new. We ain't, it, they ain't washed up. I don't understand why the Kansas City Chiefs are struggling, but I'm going to tell you that the struggles are over. They have gone through their dark days. I think they are going to emerge out of this. Oh, word? And, and uh, take their place. Yes, take their place back just, as one of the top just teams overnight. in the NFC. Yes. Just overnight. Overnight. Like they just... Hey. Okay. Weeping may endure. <laughs> <laughs> We've been made door for a night, so uh, I think they're gonna be all right. Okay, well, let, they, I know you, you know. I will, pause, I will agree with don't. that. I know I'll agree with that. I think that's what they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be all right, just all right. Um, I think oh, okay. they made it look too easy. I think we thought that they, the Chiefs' kingdom, was building some kind of a dynasty, and they just they're just funky this year. I mean, we, we all know the problems. I don't need to run them down, whether it's defensively, whether it's pass protection, uh, whether it's, um, you know, injuries. Uh, but beyond injuries, a consistent uh, running game, whether it's Mahomes. Look, 
they, they're just they're sloppy. They're sloppy and they're turning the ball over. And I don't see them. They're dangerous. Anytime you got 15 and 10, and for that matter, 87, you got a chance to win whenever yep. you take the field for sure. So they're dangerous. And I'm not saying they're done for good. I'm not saying they can't bounce back, but this season just doesn't feel like their year. Just doesn't feel like their year. I like the Ingram pickup. I do. Uh, move Chris Jones back inside. They still got a, a, long, a lot of season left. A lot of talented players. Just not, I'm just not feeling them to turn it around the way we've seen them dominate. They'd be the dominant team we've seen them in the last couple of years, especially with the schedule they got coming up. Uh, speaking of schedule, if you'd be so inclined, let's stay on it. Uh, take another break. I want to come back and talk about this, uh, this Damian Lillard uh, scene from last night in, uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's funny. And, and, and wait for it. There's more Ben Simmons reporting out there. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Did you hear those chants from the Philly crowd? I heard it. I mean, city incredibly low. <laughs> they showed the brothers some love. During the starting lineups, they was, you know, like booing everybody in there and they cheered when I came through. You know, I laughed at that. I thought that was funny. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's, you know, that comes with professional sports. You know, it's fun. It's, it's a public thing. So, you know, I'm not uptight about it or, Acting like I don't, I don't recognize it. You know, I know what I know what it is, and I know what it's about. But you know, I'm, I'm a trouble. You know, I appreciate the love. I appreciate the the respect. You know that that they show and the desire or whatever. But you know, I'm a uh, ten toes in in Grip City. And, you know, I've said that time and time again. And tonight, I <laughs> I laughed about it during starting lineups, but it was you know that was that. Man. See, man, I, 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 I like. I, sorry, sorry, I'm on. I, I'm on. I'm on, and I told you so. More than usual, I'm on. And I told you so, kid. Back when Daryl Morey was holding out for Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard, I'm like, why are you assuming that Damian Lillard is going to want out? This dude's different, and this is why Damian Lillard is your favorite player's favorite player, because. Damian Lillard, especially once the season starts. Now, I heard this about him. Like, he's not hes not playing with one foot out the door. He ten toes down, like he said. Like, he's not wandering. It. He's focused on the task at hand. And he's not wired like a lot of these other cats. Man, that's why he has a different level of respect. That's what I was getting at before. He's got a different level of respect that he commands because yeah. of how he embraces the struggle or the beautiful struggle. Man, like, listen to some of this other stuff he said, man. This is... This is inspirational. I always look at struggles as an opportunity to show my true character. 
When things go great, there's a lot of praise that goes along with that. A lot of people give you a lot of credit. They speak highly of you on social media, TV. Oh, Dame at 60, Dame at 50. They speak really highly of you. But I think it says more when you're going through something and stuff is kind of hitting the fan and you're struggling and everybody's got something to say. And to me, the real ones, they can keep on trucking and keep on going and still find a way to get the job done. And me personally, I love when those opportunities present themselves. Because when I'm riding high and when I do get smoking hot and when I get going, People are going to look at, at it and be like, we remember when you were struggling, you didn't shy away from it. I think it'll be more respect for the success when they see how you handle failure and how you handle struggle. That's good. This dude, this dude is not one to, to panic. Yeah, that's great. And then look for a, a way out. And maybe that'll change in time, but, but no time soon. And Sixers fans can keep dreaming. But let me tell you, man, that, that's not just uh, you're, you're right. I agree with you 100% on what you're saying. And he's not wired like a lot of players. He's not wired like a lot of people. That's, that's beyond that's the NBA thing. That's life. Okay, that's just, life advice. That's just beyond. There, yeah. there are a lot of people who are like that, who like the, uh, the front running thing and like, like the praise, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, like when things are going well. And then when things start to break down, you can't find them. You know, or or you do find them and they are trying to get out of that situation. So based on based on that, uh, if Damian Lillard is going to stay in in Portland, if he if if you just take it at face value, what's Philadelphia going to do? You said you had some Ben Simmons news. So if Philly doesn't have what's interesting about what's interesting about the chance, what they going to do, we want Lillard chance is yeah. You know, and maybe the fans aren't aren't following suit with the rest of the team who's rallying around uh, Ben Simmons at least publicly. By the way, they won. They beat the Blazers last night with no Embiid, no Simmons, and no Tobias Harris. Just great just to point, just to remind people tough. of that which, tough win. But um, so this is from Ramona Shelburne. So again, the irony is like they're chanting, "We want, we want Lillard." That would mean we don't. Implicit in that chant is we don't want Simmons. Because <laughs> that's who presumably right. would have to go again, that's assuming how you yeah. that that's what Portland would want in yeah. return, assuming that Lillard would ever want out of there, right? This is from Ramona Shelburne. There has been frustrating mounting, frustration mounting. Let me start again. There has been frustration mounting, according to people close to the situation, that Ben has not been accepting any of the help the team has offered him in terms of helping him with his mental readiness. He's been working with mental health professionals through the NBA Players Association, but thus far I'm told he hasn't really kept the team in the loop on that. Uh, Shelburne mm-hmm. added that Simmons has done individual work with the team's position coaches, but hasn't returned to working with the team full, working with the full team, excuse me, offered the team updates on how he's preparing himself to return to game action. Shelburne said there's still no timeline on will he be ready to appear in games. So, you were saying? Yeah. Uh, okay. No, it's just it's uh, it's not a surprise. It's a surprise, but it's not a surprise. It's it's just it's unfortunate, and it, it's tough to comment on this situation because I'm still I, I have in my top feed item how I'm torn about the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm also torn on Ben Simmons. We talked a lot about mental health and the importance of it. We didn't hear about mental health with Ben Simmons until money started to become involved. So I'm just not sure what's going on there. So I'm, I, I probably just stay away from it. Pro, oh, but I'm not sure we'll what talk, we're dealing with. We're, we're running out of time. Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about it tomorrow. But yeah, if, but as far as Damian Lillard goes real quick, it's like he this is this is a test into a testimony. 
And I think he tweeted that somebody pointed out his poor shooting stats or his poor scoring stats in general across the board as they adjust to a new approach under Chauncey Billups. He said, what did the nine years say to the handful of games? Like, Ben Simmons going to be all right. Um, yeah. But before we, before we go, I just, speaking of testimonies, I saw something in your yeah. feed that I just don't want to compromise yeah, it. And, I, and, and make sure you get a chance to, uh, to speak a word, to speak life. <laughs> before yeah. yeah well you know it it it, it is a it, it is a bad it began as a basketball story and it does speak to real ones in a different uh sense look this time of year is always big for me and big for our family uh my wife's birthday is halloween so right around halloween in 2008 we went to a celtics bulls game bring a full circle went to a celtics bulls game and uh, we were on the jumbotron and my wife, uh, her water broke just as we were there. So we're smiling and she's smiling through her teeth. She's talking through her teeth saying, they don't know that my water just broke. And so that moment just really, really changed things for me. Uh, Oni's birthday was this weekend. Robinson's birthday was yesterday. So what we're talking about, Mike, is... You know what it's like. I've got a teenage son now. I've got a 13-year-old son. There he is. That's my boy, Robinson. And I got to tell you, as I said to him, because I want, you know, I feel like as a parent, it's, it's our responsibility not only to make sure that they have what they need and, uh, and, and to be present for them emotionally and physically, but also to share, you know, what the journey was like. So I told him, I said, Robinson, um, and there's a picture. Gary, if you have that picture when I met him for the first time, um, when, when I met him for the first time, uh, you know, an hour, an hour of life for Robinson, I said to him, okay, this is what it's going to be. My life is different now. And I'm not sure how it's different, but it is. And so that was day one. I told him that and he didn't even understand what I was saying. But Mike, yesterday I told him, I said, you need to know that I was very, I was nervous about your birth, but it changed my life. And the way I looked, uh, the way I made decisions, the way I looked at everything changed when you arrived. And I just want you to know what a blessing you are and how proud I am uh, to be your father. So I, I think it's, it's important for us to say these things to them and not have them wonder. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. You know where uh, I got married, where I used to live. We bought the house, busy street. I never thought about how busy the street was until I brought him home. Then I was like yelling at cars and flagging people down and saying, slow down, there's a baby in the house. So hey, shout out to my wife. Shout out to uh, my 13 year old yes, happy son, birthday. Robin. Happy birthday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.